From the studios of WHUPLP in Hillsboro, North Carolina, this is Dirty White Belt Radio. Innovative, often duplicated When enough people get on the trend I elevate it, make it way harder For them to follow what I take It hard to swallow like a lozenger lodged In your trachea Goodness gracious bruh, I can never make this up So just take your stuff Rake it up and take the bus Never fake the funk, you painted skunks You played enough, I'm lifting bars to outer space So the weight is up Fight. Welcome to another episode of Dirty White Belt Radio. Richard Bressler was Horian Gracie's first regular American student, which means he was really the first person in the United States to train Gracie Jiu-Jitsu. He started training in July of 1979, 14 years before the first Ultimate Fighting Championship. And speaking of the UFC, Richard played a critical role there as well. That means he has a litany of incredible stories, including some from when Chuck Norris invited Horian to Las Vegas, and Richard was the only non-Gracie to make that trip. There are stories from early dojo challenge matches, including what happened when judo Gene LaBelle asked Richard to roll, to- stories of him rolling with Hickson, and much more. But more even than the old school stories, which are fantastic, we wanted to talk to Richard Bressler because he doesn't get enough credit for what he's done to spread Gracie Jiu-Jitsu throughout the United States and the world. Richard helped to finance the first Gracie Academy and to make the first UFC happen. You'll hear about that as well. The point is, for most of us that are training today, Richard played a significant role in making that happen. So bear that in mind when you're hearing Richard Bressler talk about how living with Horian Gracie saved his life, about what made Horian such a good teacher, and when you listen to him talk about his visits with Elio Gracie, Carlos Gracie, Hickson Gracie, and Halls Gracie. Today on Dirty White Belt Radio, we go straight to the source for stories of Gracie Jiu-Jitsu in America during the early days. And here is our featured interview with Richard Bressler. Exciting news from Toro BJJ. The best jiu-jitsu gi company just got better. The new Toro BJJ gi comes out in August in just a couple of weeks, designed by yours truly, and it's the best looking gi we've ever done. You know the high quality Toro BJJ products that you get and you see around at local tournaments. Well, the next gi is going to blow your mind. And so we're going to advertise that both here on the program and on DirtyWhiteBelt.com, so be sure to check it out. If you want to know the story behind the gi, how the symbolism came to be, why I designed it the way I did, why I picked the colors the way I did, you can go to DirtyWhiteBelt.com slash blog and hear the whole story. I always like getting products that have a story behind it, especially when I can get them from a local company that supports local athletes, and Toro BJJ does just that. Check them out at ToroBJJ.com or at Cageside Fight Shop in Durham at 124 Lotter Road. So you were Horry and Gracie's first regular American student to sign up around July 1979, from what I understand. Yes, yes, it was July of 1979. What are your first memories of Horry and Gracie, meeting him for the first time? It was in my apartment in Marina Del Rey when he came over to uh, buy a waterbed mattress from me. And how did it come up that he was a, a was a member of this legendary martial arts family? As he was leaving the place that I was living in, the marina, he asked me if I've ever done martial arts. And, uh, and I told him that I boxed for, I don't know, three months, about, uh, I don't know, eight years before that. That was my martial arts experience. And that's when he told me his family had been doing jujitsu in Brazil for 
destroy this family of champions. And, you know, and the first thought that I had is like, yeah, sure, buddy. And, uh, but he invited me for a free class and he was very calm, very confident. And, uh, and he said free. So I figured, you know, free private class, the worst that can happen is I'll get my ass kicked. So I went down there. And what convinced you? Well, the thing, what convinced me is that it was different from how I'd ever envisioned learning martial arts, where you come in there and you have to bow to the teacher and, and, uh, you know, it seemed like from the martial arts, the limited martial arts experience I had, it's like all the students were peons and the teacher was a god. And, you know, and it was the exact opposite with Orion. And he came in, it was always like, here I was doing drugs back when I met Horian, and I really had, you know, I was really going no place fast, and I didn't like my life, and uh, insecure, scared, and, you know, he would always, like, call me champion, and, you know, and just always was very friendly, always doing his best to boost the morale and the mood of the student and uh and you know who's not going to like that i mean you know it's like like wow and then he had told me shortly afterwards he said you know he said we don't command respect of our students he said we show them respect and how can you not respect anybody who's showing you respect so you know it's and it's the way that really the way we should be in life you know when we were young we should respect our elders well our elders should have respected us and in turn we would respect our elders i liked that that attitude and it was everything for the student i mean you know orion is he is you know a charmer by nature the guy's you know a really charming guy and which is also extremely good for business and it, it gets people in the door, and, and that's the way he is in class. Talk to me so, a little about his teaching methods, you know, because I can see how he'd be a very charming person. You always hear how good a teacher Horian is. What makes him such an excellent teacher? Well, I think one of the things about being a, a good teacher, which I've been told that I'm a good teacher also, and one is because I've had so much class classes with him, he always... When you start to learn jujitsu, and like he's been doing his whole life, when I met him, I mean, we were both 29 years old, and just that he's aware of what questions that you would have when you're when he's dem- when he's showing you something, and he'll ask the question that you are thinking or maybe not even thinking, but after he asks it, you go, "Oh yeah." And, you know, and then he'll answer the question for you, too. You know, very aware of how you move, what you might be thinking, what you're feeling. I mean, and it's carried over to me because it it becomes very, very, you know, apparent that human beings, we're mostly all the same. And we all have very similar questions. And he just was just very sensitive to the needs of his students. 
Who else was training with Horian at that time? What, what training partners do you particularly remember? Back then? Yeah. For me? Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, in the beginning, there wasn't really any training partners. I, I basically, you know, I mean, I was, I, I'd go over there and I'd take a class and I don't really remember other people because back in those days, you know, being the first, you know, it was private class and he, it's not like he had a long list of people because remember, I'm the first and then, you know, I would tell other people about it. And uh, I told one of my, my brothers, you know, good friends and he came down and, and uh, took a class and he, you know, started training. Um, there's nobody that as far as training partners that, you know, or the only training partner that I had, which didn't come for like five years later, and him and I trained a little bit as Chris Saunders, turned out to be uh, Hickson's first black belt. And so you didn't get your first regular American training partner for f like five years after you started training with Horian. No, 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 no. I, I had but Paul, my brother's friend, Paul Shapiro, he came in a few months after I did. Because I, well, I went over back to my house and my, my brother's friend Paul was there and, and I said, Hey, I can take this beach towel and I can go out with it. And he goes, No way. So I, you know, wrapped around his neck like a gi and I did a color choke on him and he was like, Wow. And then he, he went down and took a class and then, you know, he started taking classes back probably, I'm guessing uh, early eighties. So, you know, Paul was, was a training partner and there were other guys that, that came along I don't really remember the guys remember I was doing drugs in this in the early days so I was really at least the, the first three years you know I was I was high every day How so, and, and so jujitsu really saved my life well just moving with Horian too he he also never you know he never lectured me on not doing drugs you know, you'd think a person like wants to improve themselves. You know, you'd think like, "Hey, man, you got to stop doing this crap." And you know, but he never ever gave me a lecture on on not doing drugs. He just kept saying, "Eat good, eat good, eat good." You know, do this diet, stop eating that, eat this. So I would eat meals with him, and after a year of being his roommate, you know, I mean, I, I mean, I was. I used to eat candy bars probably every day. I mean, I was, a, you know, I was a Twixaholic. I loved Twix candy bars. And after about three months of living with Horian, I remember walking by one day and then, you know, I'd not have a Twix. And then another day would go by and I wouldn't. And then I'd go by and I'd see them. Sometimes I'd feel them calling out to me. And then after about three or four months, I would walk by and I'd look at them. And it's almost like I said, sorry. You guys got to choose somebody else, and I don't think I've eaten a. a, a uh, I don't think I've had a commercial candy bar since the early '80s. So you know that that eating good food when you start focusing on something good, the bad really starts taking care of itself. And so when you started living with Horian, I understand that. You've got visits from Hickson, from Grandmaster Elio, and Carlos Gracie as well. That must have been a pretty incredible experience. Well, the first week we were together, the first week we moved in, his dad, Hickson, 
and Carlos Gracie came and spent a week with us. I mean, so, you know, the first week we were in that place. So it was pretty, you know, it was pretty awesome to, you know, have a class with the old man, to have a class, you know, a couple classes with Hickson. And, uh, and I think I did a little bit with, with Carlos, but I don't remember Carlos too much. It was Hickson because Hickson, you know, was very similar to Hori and made it, you know, a lot of fun. And, uh, you know, so it was, I mean, and that's one of the things that appealed to me about jujitsu. I mean, with Horian, he made the class fun. And that's, you know, I'd like to think that I make the class fun, too. I mean, I'm not the kind of instructor that if you want to train competitive jujitsu, that you're going to stay with. My focus is on taking the average person and helping them to develop self-defense so they feel confident. I'm not a guy that is big on sport. I mean, that's, you know, that'll another instructor, but, you know, because I like to do things where the average person comes in and they're not going to make jujitsu. Like they're going to not be training 15 hours a week. And, you know, it's just something that, you know, so that's, I drew that to me and Horian knew I wasn't really, I didn't really like competitions, even though I did them early on. You know when they were they, when they were small, but his focus was with for me just to what uh, to protect myself out in the street, and that's the way that you know a lot of sporting guys are missing the basic headlock es- escapes. You know, slamming if you're in s- someone's guard, they lift you up and slam. I mean, they don't allow that anymore. We did, we allowed slamming. You know, so and that meant when <laughs> when you were in someone's or when someone was in your guard. And if they went to lift you up, you uncross the legs. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, because in the street, if someone lifts you up, you can be damn well sure they're going to slam you. If you go for a triangle or an arm lock on them, and the concrete is not forgiving like mats, and sometimes hard mats, you know, can knock you out. So, you know, jujitsu was a lot different the way it was being taught to me than it is now. U.S. Grappling is our favorite tournament organization for a lot of reasons. Run by grapplers for grapplers, U.S. Grappling consistently provides the best tournament experience for competitors. Whether it's a points tournament or submission only, and U.S. Grappling runs true no-time-limit submission-only events, it's the best place to compete and to watch your friends compete. Check out upcoming events and register online at usgrappling.com. Did did you learn the standing self-defense curriculum from Grandmaster Elio, and do you continue to teach the Gracie Jiu-Jitsu standing self-defense today? I teach a little bit of the stand-up self-defense today only because the only reason I don't teach it more is because the place that I'm at has their own self-defense. You know, I teach at a Krav Maga studio. I've been there for quite a while, and they have their own self-defense, and I only have a limited amount of classes, so I teach... I teach, you know, mostly what goes on on the ground just because, you know, they're punching and kicking and, and I've helped develop their their ground curriculum. So, but whenever I get a chance, like last Monday night, the guys came in, we had a small class. I asked the guys, I said, what do you like to do? And the guy goes, can we do some stand-up stuff? So it's like, absolutely. And the stand-up stuff is my, you know, I love doing the stand-up self-defense. I mean, I, w- I would do more of that, you know, and, and that's something that I plan on doing because I think it's a value and, 
And when I first went through the instructor training with Horian back in, oh gosh, back in ninety two, you know, it's that's something that because I had spent so much time, there was there was me and three other guys. Horian would ask us questions because I spent so much time with Horian. You know, I'd always keep my mouth shut. You know, when they would ask, people would ask, Horan would ask a question, everyone would look at me because they knew I knew the answer. So it's something that, you know, as far as how to hold your hand here, how to do this, how to defend that. And it's so it's something that I had so much drilling because, you know, getting private classes, you're getting a lot of, a lot of self-defense. Were all the classes private or did you ever transition to group classes with Horian? Uh, we ha- I probably had private classes for quite some time. And uh, and then after a while, probably on Sunday morning, or on Sunday morning around 10 a.m., and this probably started in around 1980, oh, maybe 81, 82, we'd have our morning, you know, Sunday morning training, and there'd be, you know, about six of us guys who would come over. And we would, you know, and we trained for probably two hours, you know, in the garage. And, uh, you know, it was more of like a training instead of teaching. You know, we'd go over a few things and then we would just roll for a couple hours. How hard was the sparring in those days? Did people go at each other 100% or was there more of a flow rolling? Like what What was the mix when, what was it oh, like no, to we, spar? We, 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 it, we wanted to get each other. I mean, you know, it's like because I'd spent so much time with Hori and I, I, I he, and he spent so much time. I'm like, you know, when you first, when I am with a student, or even when I'm in the class, you know, one of the things that you'll hear people, any anyone who's trained with me for six months or more, they'll tell you the one word that I use the most in my class, and that's relax. You know, and and uh, so, and being around Horian, like every time, like he would show a choke or a move or a triangle. You know, the one thing that he would always get me to do is relax. A lot of times, he'd have me, he'd have me tell a story about my family or something as I'm doing the move, just so I could, he could get me out of my head. Like I have to focus on this. He just said, you know, just to do the movement. Just relax through the whole movement. Just not be tense. So, you know, that's something that, so when I would start to spar with people, they would kind of be all like aggro because some people, you know, there was one guy that was taking human growth hormone that was really, you know, and I'd always start out really going, you know, just defending myself, but not really going crazy. And I wouldn't turn up the heat until he'd, Till I catch an elbow or like a knee because the guy would be like so, you know, having these, you know, spaz type movements. But most of the time, you know, we, we'd stayed, we'd stayed pretty relaxed, but it was, but it was still, we want, you know, the guys really wanted to get each other. Remember we're all, we're blue belts. So we, and we were hungry and especially because I was the first the guys always saw me. I mean, for a while, I mean, like I'm at the top of the hill. So I have the target on my back. 
it was it was it was good. And then you know, occasionally when I lived with Orion, they would, he'd be teaching a class, and he'd ask me if I'd like to help out. And I'm like, dude, whenever there was a chance, I mean, someone would come in, I'd I'd be right down there. So I assisted, you know, a few classes whenever possible. I started learning how to teach before I could, you know, I could even remember that I was learning how to teach. I just wanted to be there. What's the most important insight about teaching that you learned from Horian that continues to inform your teaching today? I think just to be aware of the student's needs. The, the one thing that's made me aware of in life as I get older, I realize so many people are walking around with fears and it's apparent in jujitsu. I mean, Horian would tell me, he'd said he could tell a, a lot about a person by taking, by teaching a private class. And I understand that because I could tell you a lot about a person by teaching them. Give me 10 minutes with them and I can tell you a lot about that person just because Jiu-jitsu is just an extension of life. So it's, you know, it just made me pretty sensitive to, to the needs of others. Not that I'm always doing what I, I mean, I do my best to be like that. But in other words, we, we, we can't, we're human beings. We make mistakes. So, you know, but it's just, it's given me that insight to be aware as much as possible. You talked about the blue belts sparring with each other. Did Horian spar much with his students? Was there much rolling with Horian? Oh, hell yeah. When we when we would have a class, we would have, you know, the first, like we were doing half-hour classes. And we'd do, you know, probably about uh, 20 minutes. It'd probably be 10 minutes of stand-up, 10 minutes of technique, and maybe about 10 minutes of rolling. And, but when, you know, when he would roll, he would, it'd always be, you know, in the beginning, I mean, he's basically letting us catch him. And, you know, the one thing that I really liked about jujitsu in the early days, because I was, I had such insecurities and I was, I was so screwed up emotionally, is that I could get, you know, because I hated working where I was working. And, you know, and I was in a family business that I absolutely, you know, didn't want to do and was doing drugs. So here I went, got over to a guy's house, paid him $10, and then he would basically tell me how to kick the shit out of him. You know, he'd do certain moves. I'd flip him. We'd get on the ground, when, how to control him. Like he'd put his hand across, my hand across his face, just so I could really pin him to do the arm lock. I mean, really, I mean, he was very, very attentive teaching his private students, you know. And when you're young, you can do that. Now, you know, it's like now, I mean, when I was younger, I'd let people throw me, you know, because we'd learn how to fall. But now I'm very, very cautious about letting anyone throw me. Even though if I know how to fall, I still don't want to take the fall. I mean, it's so it's what's not to like about going over and this guy's teaching you how to you know, he's basically teaching you how to how to control somebody. I mean, you go over and you beat the guy up for, for half an hour. What's better than that? Yeah, I mean, you know, and it only cost $10. I remember it went up to 15 It was like, oh. But 
how thankful, how lucky was I to to uh, when I see how much private classes are now. Yeah, and like one common theme that I hear you talking about is uh, relaxation and taking care of yourself. And you've done this a long time, so I want to ask, what what are the keys to longevity in jujitsu and staying on the mat? One, having a good diet. I mean, and I, you know, I may not follow the Gracie diet per se, but I don't eat. You know, I mean, I when I, I mean, I, I was a vegetarian for a while. I'm not any longer. I eat organic, grass-fed beef. I make sure when I get chicken, it's it's from a good source. I mean, I usually get it at the farmer's market from guys that I've come to know and trust. You know, I, I eat, you know, organic vegetables whenever possible, um, which is most of the time in Southern California because I shop. At the, that's where I was this morning. I went to the farmer's market. And also realizing that, you know, people say age is just a number. Well, young people usually say that. And there's a few older people that, you know, you're out there that I've seen older people that are in the gym working out really hard and, and they have these great bodies and they tell you, oh, it's just a number. But, you know, they might be the exception. They're not the rule. And as we get older, our bodies we're not meant to do the kind of things that we did when we were younger. And, you know, so it's knowing your limitations. And I see guys now they are in their 40s, you know, that say, oh, man, I, I just don't recover like I used to. And I'm like, oh, you have no idea, you know. But I probably said the same thing at 40s and now being in my 60s, you know. So I think that, one, I, I've learned an extremely healing body work that I started getting when I was probably in the early 90s. I had people, this one guy that I met that was working on my neck that really, I mean, my neck was really screwed up from being stacked up. And my neck now is better than it was. And the young guys kept telling me, you, you need to work out what you need to strengthen your neck. And I screwed it up by trying strengthening exercises and I never did another strengthening move on my neck but I just did this kind of treatment on my neck and my neck is better now than it was when I was in my early 40s yeah I, it's just it's a technique that I now practice because it's helped me so much so getting those kind of treatments and also making sure you get enough rest when you train there's a great uh, modality that I found called the melt method. It's a it's a a roller, but not the roller that most people use. The roller that I have is is you can basically if you lift it up and and you should be able to bend it in half. It's got to be a really soft roller, and these techniques are different than most people roll out, and it's really helpful for circulation. I recently discovered another technique that I've been doing these treatments, which to me are probably one of the best things I've ever done in my life. And it's, uh, it's called, um, the place is global cardio care and it's for circulation. You lay on this table and you, and they basically squeeze your lower extremities. Every time your heart beats, there's a computer that's hooked up to your heart and these probes, these are hooked up to probes in your heart, and then you 
have bands wrapped around your thighs, your calves, and your butt. And every time your heart beats, they squeeze. And you lay down in an hour, and the circulation that you get is, one, it rebuilds arteries. I mean, it excretes stem cells from from your marrow. It increases nitric oxide in your blood. I mean, it's one of the... I, I wasn't doing it for this reason, but now that I've been doing it, I've had 24 treatments. It's I felt it rejuvenate me. And now when I was talking to the people at this place, they were saying that all athletes have these beds in their home. So, you know, which I'm sure are expensive, but uh, I think that, you know, taking care of yourself. I mean, Steve, Steve Maxwell teaches a, uh, a movement type of thing to help us, you know, stay strong and keep your body agile. And he, Steve used to be, you know, like, on the mat. Now he says that, you know, kind of basically how foolish he was when he was younger. It's funny how perspective changes like that as we get older. Well, well yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like, and and that's the way I train most of the guys. You know, I don't, I don't, when I'm, I don't teach the things that I used to do. Like when I used to, if I get somebody in a triangle, I'd stay there. As they tried to stack me up, I'd spin underneath. I'd be going for the arm lock. I'd be going back for the triangle, and I'd, they could stack me up because I was pretty flexible. But at what cost? I didn't realize what I was doing to my neck at that time. So I, I teach guys differently. I teach them to, to don't do what I did. I mean, you know, when you're, when you're young, no one in their 20s is thinking, what's it going to be like when I'm in my 50s or 60s? We don't, we don't think like that. I'm just there to remind them. If you're lucky enough, you will make it there. Not everyone will. So take care of yourself. What goes in your body today is what it's going to be like tomorrow. We've talked to you about Cageside Fight Company on the program before, and Cageside.com is still the best place to get all of your fight gear needs. No matter what martial art you practice, you'll find something at a great price with tremendous customer service on Cageside.com. A couple of things available on the site right now. There's more than 50% of the Cageside best part of waking up rash guard. For those of us that do early morning jujitsu, we know these are high-quality rash guards that speak to our particular interests. There's also some terrific Muay Thai shin guards, the Cageside tank shin guards, which are super high-quality and because we just did let leg kicks at class this week are on my mind so if you need some striking gear check that out whether you grapple whether you strike whether you do both you won't be sorry that you went to cageside.com Is, you, is Horian your biggest influence in terms of teaching, or are there other influences that you think have informed the way you teach either jujitsu or lifestyle stuff as well? Horian was probably the biggest. I'll tell you, you know, who else? Is, I mean, his son, Hiran and Henner. I mean, I, I've gotten to go to the academy. You know, I go there, the Gracie University, and and I think their, their teaching is... Yeah, I think they've really done a well teaching because being a student and seeing how Horian did it, that now they're even more technical in the university, and a lot of people have criticized the university and even, you know, their CTCs. But I think for what we're being, you know, some people, everyone comes to jiu-jitsu for different 
reason. So their instruction is so spot on that, you know, it's, I've learned some things. I mean, I had a class with Hidon in uh, 2010, well, wow, seven years back, and he showed me some things about the triangle that I never learned. And when I've shown them, passed them on to my students, that's one of the things, the things that I showed them, they're able to to get more triangles now just by by showing him, you know, to make space. You know, not not stay there and get stacked up. So just little details that you can pick up all the time. So Horian was a huge influence. I had, you know, I had, I was, you know, lucky enough to to get quite a few classes with Hickson too, and uh, and Hickson's training was totally different. You know, Hickson was a forty-five minute class, a half hour of instruction, and fifteen minutes of nonstop rolling, and he was, you know. It was, it was definitely, you know, definitely good. But I, I would say probably the biggest influence is Horian. Did you get something different out of Hickson's classes than you got out of Horian's classes? Hickson was more of a fierce competitor. I, I remember a lot when I'd be rolling with Hickson at the, you know, when we're when we're doing the last 10, 15 minutes of rolling, and I'd be, like, exhausted. And he and I'd want to stop. He'd say, "No, keep going, keep going. This is when the jujitsu kicks in. This is when you know your the automatic reflex happens. You don't have to think about it. It just, you know. So, which we didn't do. I don't remember doing much of that with Horian in the private classes. But you know, everybody has their their own their own strengths. What do you think your strengths as a teacher are? Because I'm not a big guy, you know, I'm 5'10", 142 pounds, just that to show them that if you can defend yourself in a lot of situations against a bigger guy, that to me is something that, you know, like because I, I've taught seminars with people, I've taught class with people, some big guys, big strong guys, and a lot of people they use their gifts when teaching, you know, and, and, and I keep reminding him, I say, look, those are great for you. I remember there was one guy in particular, we would show it like headlock escapes. And when you'd get to the, to the top, the guy'd be holding your head. And when he would get to the top, he would just basically take his arm and bring it down across the guy's face and straighten his arm and move the guy away. And I'd, and I'd remind him, I'd say, you know what? You're 220 pounds. I think back then I was 150. And I said, that's great. I said, if I'm on the bottom, you could smash me. But if you're on the bottom and I'm on the top and you're holding me tight, there's no way I can do what you're telling me to do. And I said, but what I can do is this. And I would show him the technique that I would do and say, so this is what, this is what you want to show the hundred pound women because the hundred pound woman can't do what you do. So if, if they can do, you know, most people can do what I do because I'm, you know, being 65 years old, being an average strength. I mean, I'm not, you know, a hundred, I don't have much mass behind me. So the technique that I have, 
I can usually show people how to do it. In other words, I don't think, if you can't do it my way, I don't think it can be done. If you can't get out the way I'm showing them. So it's it's nice to be able to show somebody, a smaller person, that this is, this that you'll have, you'll have a fighting chance with the technique that I'm teaching you. Because it's pure technique. I'll tell people when they come into class, if you're strong, if you're fast, great. Those are excellent gifts. But put them aside for now. Learn the technique, and if and if after you learn the technique, you utilize that strength, that strength and speed, and power, and you take two guys, same technique, one's powerful, faster. That's the guy I put my money on. But when you don't have that, you want to learn the best technique possible. As a smaller person, I certainly agree and appreciate that. Do you do you have memories? Were you around when Horian was promoting the first UFCs? <laughs> was I around? <laughs> what what are your What are your memories of that time? You, you know, not a lot of people, and, and I didn't even realize what an impact it was. But remember, the first academy, the the money from the first academy came from me because he couldn't get. No one wanted to give him money back then. You know, he, he was teaching out of his garages, and he came to me and said, Richard, he says, I, I can't keep teaching out of garages if I'm going to, if we're going to get any bigger. And, you know, and he knew people, there was a lot of students, but nobody wanted to come up with cash. And the bank said for him to get a business, he wanted $60,000 from the bank, and the bank said, well, what assets do you have now? He said, nothing. He says, well, when you have $60,000, he said, then we'll loan you $60,000. So... You know, he came to me, and I was like, wow. And then, and I only had, at that time, you know, in, in the late 80s, I said, wow, I have 40 grand, and I went to my parents. And I said, hey, you know, Horian, I said, I'd, I'd like to borrow 20000 from you to, to you know, loan and invest with Horian, because I said, jujitsu, I said, we, we need to do this. I mean, it's like... I believe that something that I just, I wasn't thinking back then, well, this will be nice and people will appreciate this. I, I was just thinking I wanted to spread this word because I, I had no idea how big it would get, but I just wanted to do that. So, so I did that. And then shortly afterwards, that's when he met our Davey and, and I invested in the first UFC also. So I was around. <laughs> Hell, I was at the first uh, three, three or four UFCs. I was even in the octagon. Tell, tell me about that. Many people don't know. I was, in, I was in the octagon in UFC two. I was the guy that was wiping up the blood between matches. A glamorous job. Oh yeah. I, I want to ask about the UFCs, but also, what were your parents' reactions when you asked them to support this particular investment? They said, "Richard, are you re are you sure? Do you really know what you're doing?" I mean, they had loaned Horian, I think, four thousand dollars previous, and he gave him an, an old emerald bracelet, which really wasn't worth that much because all the all the stones were old. But you know, I I just said, "Look, you know, they knew how much jujitsu had helped me and changed my life, and they knew how excited about jujitsu I was." So they said, "You know, they would do it," and I even loaned Horian a couple grand. Had, you know, probably back, I don't know, maybe a year after I met him. But, 
but you know, and then my cousin said, Richard, he says, you don't want to do this. He said, this is not a good investment. Don't do it. Don't do it. Kept telling me that. And I said, look, you don't know what you're talking about. You don't know what you can do. But uh, anyways, I mean, they were, my parents were, are you sure? And I just, and I just, and I just, I mean, they knew how excited I was. So if you're sure, then we'll do it. And uh, the rest is history. Hey, Betsy O'Donovan. Yes, Jeff Shaw? As it turns out, we're getting married. I think it's time we share a secret with the world. When you get married, often you want a wedding photographer, and I'm wondering, what do you look for in a wedding photographer? I am so glad you asked this question because I have spent a lot of time looking at photography of all sorts. So as you may know, I uh, have been making my living as a journalist for low these 20 years, and so I've spent a lot of time looking at good photography, bad photography, and occasionally great photography. So for our wedding, I am thrilled that we're going to be going with Meg and Alan Chester's company, CAM Photo and Design. You guys may know them because they shoot a lot of jiu-jitsu tournaments. We always see them at U.S. Grappling. And they caught my attention because of two things. One is they do a phenomenal job of capturing events in the moment, the kind of photojournalism that I look for that I think really expresses um, the spirit of an event, and that's what we wanted for our wedding. The other reason um, that I'm really excited that they are going to be shooting for us is that, I don't know if you've ever looked at their photos of spectators, but they do an amazing job of capturing emotion. And um, for our wedding, I want to make sure that we are catching the real emotion of the day. Um, it's just a nice side benefit that they're a phenomenal jujitsu supporting brand. And a lot of jiu-jitsu weddings involve jiu-jitsu, so you want people that understand the things that you love. So that's CAM Photos and Design. You can find them on Facebook. They train, and they know how to shoot great photos. Take it from the journalist with 20 years of experience and your favorite random purple belt. What are your other memories of the early UFCs other than, you know, being in the octagon? And, and what, what stands out to you uh, now, looking back on those early days? I'll tell you, the memories, you mean at the UFCs or just the early memories that in jiu-jitsu? Both. Well, one of the, the, one of the earliest memories that I had is when, you know, Horian and I and a, and a couple other guys, we went to a uh, an American, what was called an American jiu-jitsu school. And, you know, I, I walked in there and we're... He's talking to the guys, and I'm I'm seeing these so-called jujitsu guys do a choreographed move. All all these choreographed moves when they punch really slow, and the guys would, you know, like take these falls. And I'm like, oh, this doesn't look like anything like we do, but you know. So the guy, the instructor of the jujitsu place, and he told Hori, and he says, okay, why don't you uh, you and your black belts come with me? And the rest of the guys, and he just kind of like waved his hands, like, "Okay, the rest of the peons like over there," kind of kind of attitude. So I was about ready to go with the rest of the peons, and Horning grabbed me by the sleeve, and he said, "Come with me." And I reminded Horning, I said, "Hey, Horning," he said, "Black belts," and he whispered in my ear, he says, "Trust me, you know more than these guys." And I'm like, "What?" I mean, here I'm a student for a year at the most. Remember, only doing maybe one 
private a week and maybe a little bit of helping out. So I wasn't like, a, you know, someone who was really training a lot. But he only, only really encouraged, he just said, just do a private a week. He said, that's what you need to, to you know, make sure it's a minimum you need. But he never encouraged anyone to do more. So that's what I, that's what I was doing early on. So anyways, when we went to these guys, you know, I put my my blue belt on, and uh, Orion said, so what would you do if the guy, like, you know, mounted on top of you? So Orion asked the guy to lay down, and I mounted on top of him. He says, what would you do in a fight if, if a guy got on top of you and did this? So I got on top of him, and he reached up to try to grab the uh, – you know, the bone just beneath the Adam's apple, and he put pressure on me, you know, just to kind of, like a pressure point, to kind of lift it up a little higher so he couldn't reach me. And then the guy went crazy and, you know, tried to throw me off. And as he threw me off, I caught his arm. And as I caught his arm, Horning, like, clapped his hands and, like, signaled me, like, no, don't catch it. So I let it go. And, uh, and I was like, damn, like, Why? But I didn't say anything. And then he says, okay, he said, that's pretty good. Took a lot of power, but, you know, he says, now mount on top of Richard. And he mounted on top of me. And the guy, I could feel the guy, like, gripping me and holding my wrist down. So he says, okay, like, you got him good? He goes, yeah. He says, I got him good. So he's holding me down. I grab his wrist. I trap his leg, and I rolled him off. And I was like, I think I was more surprised than he was. Because I just all I saw was this guy's black belt, and I just rolled a black belt off me, and I went, "Whoa, something something's not right here," because this was way too easy. So things like that, things like going into other judo schools, seeing how we dominated everybody on the ground. I mean, judo was good, but they the groundwork was very was very weak. And, you know, doing other demonstrations, it, for some reason, it seemed like the guys that we do the demonstrations with or for, it, it seemed like the other guys would always, for some reason, I was like a target. We went to Benny Urquidez's school, and I didn't really know Benny, and uh, Orion just did some stand-up stuff with him, but it was very friendly they never really got into it and then i Horian asked me to put my gi in and i i clenched you know that he says okay and i was like i mean i was so green at this time i mean less than a year and here you're asking me to to clench when we didn't work on it that much he just said look he said when i when we say go he says just cover your put your hands up over your head and, and clench the guy so we squared off against each other and i'm like shaking and they said, okay, I just charged the guy and pulled him down and I went to go for a collar choke and Horian like called me up. He didn't want to show him anything, but it was like, I went, okay, that was the guy that I was going up against had like a, I don't know, a purple belt or something, but who knows what it was back then, but it was a really worn out belt. So the guy had been doing stand up for a little bit. And then I remember the older, I think, of Benny comes up to me and he starts telling me about how, you know, how the 
like these guys only an inch to break bricks. And, you know, they come over and intimidate, try to intimidate me. And I'm saying, look, that's nice, but why don't you go over to Horian and tell him about it? Because, I mean, I'm not going to be doing anything against, the, you know, a seasoned martial artist, but they'd come over to me. I mean, I remember when I was over at Gene LaBelle's place. Gene LaBelle came up to me, asked me if I wanted to roll because, you know, I trashed a couple of his, when I say trashed, I mean I very, very lightly dominated a couple of their students. So he comes up to me and says, hey, you want to roll, kid? And I just had a sense that the guy wanted to hurt me. I mean, I'm a small guy, and Gene LaBelle's, you know, a big guy. So I pointed to, I think we were with Hoyler and Helson, Hickson, and I said, no, but one of those guys would be glad to roll with you, and he walked in the other direction. So, you know, it's, it, it just, it was very, very interesting to see those early times because everyone had their questions about jiu-jitsu, even going down and meeting, you know, Chuck Norris and his business partner. You know, just because they thought jiu-jitsu was good, but they didn't really know the power of it in a real fight. And everybody had questions and everybody was negative, and they said, oh, no, grappling versus standing up, you know, we'll, we'll kick your ass. So, you know, it was... It was my experience in jiu-jitsu back then was not like people's jiu-jitsu experience now. Because in, in my days, it was kind of like the Wild West, where we were, we were challenging and, and showing how powerful jiu-jitsu was as an art. I mean, now, most if not every single MMA fighter out there has some kind of jiu-jitsu experience. I mean, some kind whether it be defense, they still have to learn jujitsu. So Judo Gene LaBelle did not take you up on your suggestion that he roll with Helson or Hoyler? He just kind of walked away? No, he, he walked in a different direction. I love hearing these challenge like stories. You know, these stories of, I love the demonstration of the real world value of the art. And it sounds like you have many great stories like that. Well, I mean, you know, one of the, one of the, the biggest ones that I, when we went down to uh, Las Vegas and Chuck Norris invited Hori in to, to, uh, to do a seminar for his black belts. And he brought like, just about, <laughs> he brought, you know, Helson, Hicks and Carlos Gracie, Henzo Gracie, Carlos Machado. I mean, uh, Enzo, I mean, there was so many guys that were there. And I mean, there was like 11 of them between Hori and Hickson Hoyes, Helson, Hoyler, and uh, so we're we're doing this. And I and I was really fortunate because I was the only non-Gracie that that traveled with them. So we went down to Vegas, and I met Chuck. And Chuck told me the story about how he discovered jujitsu, and uh, which you can find on YouTube. But uh, you know, Chuck was a suit, and then after the seminar was over. Do you know who Bob Wall is? Well, yes, I do, but you can tell the listeners. Yeah, so he he was the guy that he was in Enter the Dragon. He's Chuck Norris's business partner and probably a, a karate champion in his own right, you know. But he didn't really know 
jujitsu didn't have the confidence in jujitsu. He thought it was good, but you know, so he was talking to Horian after the seminar and I'm just kind of standing about three feet from them. And Bob's saying like, you know, how, well, jujitsu is really good, but, but if, and like real world stuff, like, you know, they wouldn't really stand a chance. And so I'm listening to this and Horian's not saying a word. And I'm like, what? You know, and Horian's, I guess, he came to me a while back for me years before this. He said, look, he said, Richard, I don't want to make enemies. So he said, I don't want to challenge people. But he said, you have carte blanche to do whatever you want. He said, you can be the bad guy. I don't want to be the bad guy because I'm going to be doing the fighting. So I would just, I would go around and kind of instigate because I, I personally wanted to just see what I wanted to kind of see for myself what I'd been hearing. So when Bob was talking to Horian, basically kind of shoving down, saying it was good, but in a real kind of situation, they wouldn't have a chance. So I, I kind of interrupted and I said, I said, excuse me. So what you're telling me is if someone like Dennis Alexia, who was the world kickboxing champion at the time, and Hickson were to fight, Dennis would destroy Hickson. Is that what you're saying? He said, that's exactly what I'm saying. And without skipping a beat, I said, well, I have 10 grand of my own money that I'm willing to put up right now today to see what happened. And Bob looks at me and looks at Horian and he goes, who the hell are you? And and Bob and Horian says, oh, Bob, introduce, let me introduce you to one of my longtime friends and students, Richard Bresser. So we, we shake hands. He has me put my arm up. He goes, put your arm up like this. And he smacks it, you know, like a block, you know, and he goes, and he goes, did that hurt? And I said, yeah, that, that stung. And he goes, that's compared to how hard these guys hit. Like, you don't want to fuck with them. So, so, so I said, well, that's nice. And that hurt. But I said, that 10 grand offer still stands. And he, you know, got pissed and, and said, he said, okay, let's make this happen. So I kind of walked away because he was fuming. I walked into the restroom and to the hotel, you know, we're in Vegas. And, and I'm thinking to myself, oh, man's pissed at me now because, you know, I went down there and did this. And I go in the bathroom and Hoist follows me in there. And he's like so excited. Way to go, Richard. You know, <laughs> so, so, you know, they were, they were happy about the whole thing. And we went back to L.A., and we tried to get this thing happen. And we'd call up, and they'd call back, and and then he'd say it was going to happen. And then all of a sudden, we'd call up, and we wouldn't hear from him for a week. And then, you know, so we'd call back, and they'd say, oh, yeah, we're going to make this happen. And make a long story short, time went by where it just was forgotten. And I can't tell you the guys that would tell me they would break bricks from an inch away and you know i mean it was so much so many stories but they said you don't understand man we'll we'll destroy this guy different people so i would say good i want you know so some guys that were willing to fight you know came over to the garage and and you know would stand up and horing would it always the one thing about and versus every brother except for hickson that I saw, Corian never hit his opponent very hard. 
when he got him down. He always wanted to show that he didn't have to hurt you. So he would, you know, gently pull you under the mat. Unless, you know, there was a couple guys that kept, oh, let's do it again. Let's do it again. Let's do it again. Well, wait a second. How many times in a real fight do you get to do it again? So after this, there was this one guy that was a second-degree black belt and Kempo that worked for me. He, about ten times he clinched, you know, Horan. And each time, the guy kept really trying to knock him out. And after a while, Horan said, you know, the odds are, you do this enough times, you might connect with me. So he went and clinched him, lifted him up in the air, and slammed him. And that's when the guy said, okay, I've had enough. So, you know, but it happened over and over again. Now people don't have to prove the effectiveness of jiu-jitsu because it's already been proven. They already know it. Look at Brian Ortega or Damian Maya in the UFC. I mean, these are some elite jiu-jitsu fighters. And then just what happened out in the street, I mean, in Brazil. I mean, that's, you know, it's a hell of a lot different. The Valley Tudos in Brazil were different than they were. I mean, I saw some early on videos where guys would go into the academy and they just, I mean, bare fists, go for it. Was Hickson the toughest guy you ever saw, you think? Uh, well, I, I was actually, when I went to Brazil, I met Halls. So Halls and Hickson were, you know, they say at one time that Halls was just that much better, but that's who Hickson trained with mostly. So, you know, Hickson, we don't know. If, I mean, if Halls would have lived, who knows what would have happened, you know, and because, I mean, Halls, what was it, 1982 when he died in a hang gliding accident? Yeah, a tragedy. Yeah, and it, interesting was that when I was in Brazil, I was staying with uh, Jacare, and Halls and, and Jacare were really good friends, and we went to Pepino Beach in, uh, in Brazil, and Halls asked me, he says, hey, you want to go tandem with me on a hang glide? Just, you know, and I... <laughs> promptly said, no, thank you. Yeah, I didn't know how, you know, if he, he says, oh, don't worry, I'm a professional. And I'm like, that's okay. And just ironic that that's how he passed. Is there one thing that I haven't asked about that you really wish I would have asked about or anything that any particular favorite stories or memories you want to share? How, how special of a teacher Elio Gracie was, you know, and I, and I really didn't know this until later on. Because when Elliot would come and watch, like when we had the academy and Elliot would come in and he'd watch me teach, you know, sometimes there were, I think I was either a purple or a brown belt. And I remember teaching this one class and this guy, one of the students probably had me outweighed by, oh, let's see, I'm 150 back then. He probably was about 230. And, you know, the guy from side control, I'm teaching this guy, probably a blue belt. And I remember Elio was watching at the door. And after the class was over, you know, he called me upstairs. And then his, you know, because he didn't speak English, Horian said to him, he says, hey, my dad wants to show you something. So, you know, he showed me how to protect myself from this guy. So the next day in class, when the guy was there, you know, I was showing the class what Elio showed me. And one of the guys in the class was this big guy. So Elio happened to see me showing this guy. And I could see he wasn't happy. 
So he calls me up in Horan's office, and Horan says, look, he says, when my dad shows you something, he says, it's just for you. Because you're teaching all these other guys, and especially the bigger guys. Don't show the bigger guys. In other words, it's like, this is for you, Richard. Keep it for you. So, you know, but I always wanted to share everything with everybody. But he, when you were with Grandmaster Elio, he always had a way of making you feel that you were his favorite student. And just to, to share the mat with him, you know, hell, share my house with him when he came over, when I went to Brazil in the airport. I mean, he, you know, a, a special guy, really amazing human being. Well, so just, just my memories of spending time with him. U.S. Grappling has another tournament coming up. Now, you know how well-run the U.S. Grappling tournaments are, and you know how good a time everybody has there. But what you might not know is that you can either register early online at usgrappling.com, or you can enter our contest to get one of our two sponsorships to upcoming U.S. Grappling tournaments. Details about that are on dirtywipeout.com slash blog. You can also register online at their website, usgrappling.com. Go check out the best-run tournaments around and tell them we sent you. And it was a really wonderful experience for me to sp- spend some time with Richard Bressler. It's always excellent to hear stories from the early days. And for perhaps the first regular American to train jiu-jitsu to share some of the old school stories with me and with you, the listeners, is something that I really appreciate. So that's our featured interview. And thanks to Richard Bressler for taking the time. You can see some extras from this show at our blog, dirtywhitebelt.com blog, or on our Facebook page, which is facebook.com slash cagesideradio. We'll post some videos of Richard rolling with Hicks and Gracie early in the days and a copy of the check that he used to help finance the first Gracie Academy. So again, if you train jiu-jitsu in America, you owe a bit of a debt to Richard Bressler, and we want to thank Richard not only for talking to us, but all of his efforts to promote jiu-jitsu uh, throughout our country and throughout the world. Before we get on out of here, we had a contest leading up to our 100th show. This is our 101st show, and we asked folks to write in and tell us if they want you know, and, and basically apply for a, a sponsorship to U.S. Grappling, our favorite tournament organization. We got some great entries, and I'm pleased to announce the two winners, both of whom are, I mean, have similar but also really distinct stories. Kenny Saberkul has been a lot around for a long time. He's taken some time off due to injuries and burnout, but has always been one of the top competitors I can remember, and Kenny wrote us a really terrific uh, paragraph about what competing means to him and sent us some great pictures of him competing at perhaps the first U.S. grappling event in Maryland as a purple belt. So we'll post those and congratulations to Kenny. Eric DeVere, you've heard on the show, he's an avid competitor right now at Blue Belt and somebody that shared with us his story of losing more than 100 pounds training jiu-jitsu and the health and positive aspects of jiu-jitsu that's brought to his life. He shared with us a little bit about his sports background and sent us a cool picture of him competing Nogi at one of the most recent U.S. grappling tournaments. So congratulations to Eric DeVere and Kenny Saverkul, our contest winners. We'll be in touch talking about the sponsorship to U.S. Grappling. And thanks to everyone who entered. We're going to continue to support the community uh, with our efforts to help get you out there training, get you out there competing, and just really build jujitsu for everyone here in the Carolinas and beyond. 
So that's our show for the week. As always, our co-hosts are Lourdes Cantu and Betsy O'Donovan. You'll hear an interview Lourdes did next week, and that'll be really fun. I'm excited for that. Our Patreon supporters are Betty Broadhurst, Chris Holmes, Carl Krebs, and Cody Malte. I want to thank them, as always, for their support of the show. You can join them for as little as a dollar a month at patreon.com slash dirtywhitebelt. You can support the show as our mission is to spread jujitsu through the Carolinas and beyond. We want to thank everybody that helps us do that. My thanks to Richard Bressler, to the co-hosts, the Patreon supporters, and everyone out there listening. Thanks so much for your your support of the show. My name is Jeff Shaw. This is Dirty White Belt Radio, and we will see you again next Sunday. Mm-hmm.